So many Christians struggle to defend the truth of the Christian worldview. What if there was a podcast dedicated to answering the toughest objections to Christianity? That is the mission of the Daily Apologist podcast. I'm your host, Dean Meadows, and on this episode, I wrap up my interview with resurrection and New Testament historian, Dr. Mike Lacona. So with these experiences of Jesus' early followers, disciples, however you'd prefer to categorize them, we the the gospels clearly show that they had this type of experience where they believed they saw the risen Jesus. Now the pushback to that would be, uh, couldn't they have just had a mass hallucination uh, and hallucinated this event, thinking that they saw Jesus, especially considering that this was something that was. Uh, unexpected and devastating? Yeah, I mean, of course you can posit that, but it, it lacks evidence. Now, it, I have to admit, it sounds plausible at first. I mean, these guys would have been grief-stricken. They would have been fearful of what's going to happen to them now. Um, were we deluded all these years? What, what, what's going to go on now? Um, probably sleep-deprived over the days that follow. You would think they'd be really good candidates for hallucinations. Well, let's look at hallucinations and come to a better understanding of what they actually are. Hallucinations are distorted uh, perceptions of reality. Actually, they're not distorted. They are false perceptions of reality. So you are perceiving something that is not actually there. A visual hallucination is when you see something, but that, that thing is not actually there. Or you hear something like music or a voice or someone calling your name, but that thing that is making the sound, it's not actually there. It's, you're not really hearing a voice. Or you smell or taste something that's not there, or you feel like you're being touched. That's called a tactile hallucination. How many of mm-hmm. us experienced the tactile hallucination? Uh, when we got our first smartphone and we put it on vibrate and we uh, set it on silence for, because we were sitting in on a meeting. And during the meeting, we got the impression that it, you know, maybe it was in our pocket and we felt like it had just vibrated. And so we pulled it out and there nothing, you know, nothing. it didn't, that's Been a tactile hallucination. Um, or what's called a kinesthetic hallucination where you have a sense of motion. Um, most of us have had the experience of dreaming we are falling and it wakes us up. That is a kinesthetic hallucination. So most people experience a hallucination of a sort. Um, almost all hallucinations are experienced in a single mode. Sometimes some people experience hallucinations in multiple modes, like when they're high on drugs um, or if they're schizophrenics, they will, they can experience a hallucination in multiple modes. The group that is most likely to experience a hallucination are people who are grieving over the loss of a loved one. And multiple studies over the last more than a century has, has revealed, they've revealed that, approximately 7% on average will experience a visual hallucination. 7% of those grieving the loss of a loved one will experience a visual hallucination of that. Hmm. Now, also, because hallucinations are false perceptions of reality, they are going on in the mind of an individual. They have no external reality. So in that sense, they're like dreams. And I cannot share my dream with someone else. Uh, My wife and I might have similar dreams. Like maybe we're dreaming 
we, we're, we know we're leaving for Hawaii the next day, let's say. And so we're both dreaming we're in um, Hawaii. Um, or several years ago, there was this woman named um, Catherine Phillips. And um, she appeared in Ken Burns' special, The War. Just a, one of the sweetest, most interesting women you'd ever meet in your life. And it was really our dream to meet her. And through some contacts in Mobile, Alabama, they arranged for us to meet her in person. And we drove down there to meet her. Oh, and my wow. wife and I both had dreams of meeting her. <laughs> the, the night before we were to meet her, we were in a hotel in Mobile. And we both had separate dreams of meeting her the next day. And we got to. It was wonderful. They were different dreams. So we can both have a dream of meeting her, but we couldn't participate in one another's dream. And because the dream's not reality, it's going on in your head. So mm -hmm. because of that, you can't experience a group hallucination. Even if every one of you were in the frame of mind to experience hallucination, and only 7% of you might, you're still not going to have the same hallucination simultaneously, right? So the impact on that with regards to the gospel accounts about these experiences is what? Well, you don't have 7% of, of Jesus' disciples experiencing an appearance of him. You've got 100%, an unthinkable 100%. Um, and so... In addition to that, you have group appearances, several group appearances in which they see him simultaneously and they report that they're all seeing him not only at the same time, but he's doing and saying the same things. Um, and if you go with the Gospels, which would be beyond minimal facts here, okay, yeah, then it would be in multiple modes because they see him, they hear him, they touch him. Um, but even if you eliminate that, you still get... 100% plus group appearances just through the oral tradition reported by Paul. So, um, plus you got Paul. Paul is not <laughs> yeah. grieving over Jesus' death. He's glad Jesus was dead. He's trying to destroy the movement Jesus had started. He believes Jesus is a failed uh, Messiah and a false prophet. So Jesus would have been the last person in the universe that Paul would have expected to see or wanted to see. And yet, Paul has an experience and then if we go with the evidence for the empty tomb, which is beyond a minimal fact, okay? But if you go with that and you say the tomb was empty, well, then you got to explain how the tomb got empty because if they hallucinated, the body would have still been in the tomb. So there are, plus hallucinations don't lead one to the conclusion that a person has been raised physically bodily from the dead. Mm -hmm. That person's appearing to them spiritually, right? So um, oh, wow. there's all kinds of reasons to reject the hallucination hypothesis. So... So I think one of the things, at least with the, um, I primarily deal in, in, in social media, and that, that's our apologetics ministry. Um, one of the things that is now popping up is a popular argument that uh, maybe to get away from the hallucination uh, theory as far as the group aspect of the hallucination theory is the idea that, well, all you would need is one of the prominent disciples like a peter to have a hallucination then go back and tell the group of followers hey i, I saw jesus and then from there they could engage in in group think group think takes over then everybody says well yeah 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 i saw jesus too and i saw jesus too and now you have the resurrection 
narrative that takes place because one prominent disciple hallucinated thinking it was Jesus told the group, the group is involved in group think. And now you have um, the resurrection narrative. What is your response uh, to that? Well, number one, it wouldn't account for the appearance to Paul, right? True. Because he wouldn't have been in that. Another thing, although I didn't include the appearance to James, the skeptical half-brother of Jesus, because even though about 90% of critical scholars writing on it grant the appearance to James, at least that he believed that the risen Jesus had appeared to him, um, I didn't include it because I think there were only like around 30 scholars who mentioned it. Um, so I was being like super, super, super cautious and, uh, you know, to not accept something just because I wanted to accept that I had extremely strict criteria. Um, Gary's was, you just have to have a, uh, you know, very strong consensus of scholars who write on the subject to grant it. And, you know, 90%, well, you're there. So he grants that, the appearance to James, I think we should, you know. I think the evidence is there that James, the skeptical half-brother of Jesus, had an experience he believed was the risen Jesus appearing to him, and he became a follower of Jesus, whereas he wasn't, even up to the time of his crucifixion. Yeah. Um, so you've got to explain uh, a group think doesn't account for the appearance of James. It doesn't account for the appearance of Paul. It wouldn't account for the empty tomb. Um, so in, in explaining all the facts, it might handle one specific aspect we're going beyond minimal facts for those who are listening right now. So, yeah, yeah, but, but one more thing I should put in. Yeah, there. go ahead. We, we've got, like with Mormonism, you have the 11 witnesses uh, to the Book of Mormon, which they're, they're named in the front of the Book of Mormon. 11 witnesses that said they actually saw the gold plates that Joseph Smith um, had used to, to translate the, the Book of Mormon. However, shortly after Smith died, seven of them left Mormonism. So it's, you know, you've got, we, we have no less than 11 ancient sources that mention that the disciples were all willing to suffer continuously, willing to die. That doesn't mean they all died as martyrs, but we can know that they all were willing, they all did suffer willingly for mm -hmm. their gospel proclamation, and they were all willing to die for it. So, um, to our knowledge, none of them recanted. So, when we talk about group think, you know, or maybe Peter has this hallucination and he convinces the other disciples that he's alive. Um, and maybe at some point they're all saying, yeah, we saw him. But when you're talking about persecution now, imprisonment, scourging, brutal deaths, not any of them, to our knowledge, recanted. Um, that that is not suggestive of groupthink. No, I think that that's a a, a sufficient and, a, and an excellent response to the the groupthink uh, hypothesis, as as I will label it. So let, let's move on to minimal fact three about Paul, uh, that skeptic Paul, um, you know, who was an enemy of Christianity, believed that he had a uh, experience of the uh, post, I guess how I would say it, the the post-resurrection uh, Jesus on the road to Damascus. Um, the, the pushback there is that couldn't it be that Paul 
had some type of psychotic breakdown because he was feeling sorry for the the persecution that he was placing on uh, the Christian community? Well, we have to consider all possibilities, of course, and yeah, we can't rule it out. But we have to acknowledge that that is extremely speculative. It is entirely ad hoc. There isn't a scrap of evidence to suggest that was the case. Um, it is performing psychohistory. Now, mental health professionals who are trained in this area, they often find it difficult to uh, diagnose someone accurately who is a willing patient sitting across from them. And here you've got armchair psychologists who have probably most of them have no education, a formal education in the mental health profession. Maybe they took a psychology 101 class in college and never went beyond that. Uh, but there's certainly no training in the mental health profession. Um, and they think that they're going to diagnose someone accurately whom they've never met and who lived 2,000 years ago in a foreign culture. I suggest that if a person was able to do that, that would be far more impressive than a magician telling you the card you're thinking of. Yeah, they need to, they need to write a book and uh, sell it, make lots of money, and get a Nobel Prize in that field. Yeah, um, so, I mean, you, you can consider yeah. it as a possibility, but, I mean, all that is is an ad hoc explanation because you reject the resurrection. Yeah, it's, it's certainly one thing to say that something is possible, but the question that we want to ask when we do history is, what's most probable? That's exactly um, right. That's in, what a historian that has to do. Absolutely. That's what a reasonable Absolutely. person has to do. In Paul's writings, his own letters, he talks about how he persecuted the church, and when he almost like lists his resume in his letter to the church at Philippi, he says, um, born of the, uh, what he said, of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, mm -hmm. circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is found in the law, blameless. Um, so he as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. That's part of his resume. Yeah, He doesn't, doesn't seem to have any guilt involved in his pre-Christian day. Yeah, he, he doesn't say, um, you know, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and I was sorry while I was doing it. <laughs> right. Now, later on, he does. Like Later example, on, he does. In 1 Corinthians yeah. 15, he says, for I am the least of the apostles yep. because I persecuted the church. So let me let me ask one more question about the minimal fact, and then we'll draw application for today. Uh, as minimal fact three, um, what about the one of the things that's pushed back by atheists is okay. Well, you've got these conversion stories that Paul tells, and there are these contradictions in the conversion stories. Therefore, Paul can't be trusted as someone who. Um, you know, that, that experience was something that was either either made up or it can't be trusted due to the contradictions in the in the conversion stories in the in the New Testament. Well, I'd say first of all, those alleged contradictions appear only in the book of Acts. They're not in Paul's letters. So and and Paul didn't write Acts, right? So at most you would just 
at the very most you could do is say, I don't trust acts. But in terms of Paul converting, you can get it just from his undisputed letters in the New Testament, from Galatians, from Philippians, from 1 Corinthians. You get it from there. Um, you don't even need Acts for that. You need Acts for the narrative, of course, if you want to know the narrative. But you don't need it to see that Paul converted from being a persecutor of the church to one of its most able defenders. Um, second, I'm not really sure we've got contradictions in the book of Acts in terms of the appearance to Paul. It appears in chapters 9, 22, and 26. And yeah, there are some differences between the accounts, but I think by and large, almost all of them, if not all of them, can be quite easily reconciled. Now, I'm not suggesting here, I'm doing this to preserve a doctrine of biblical inerrancy. It's just, um, it's a lot to get into. I mean, if someone really yeah. interested in it, they can go to my, my large book on Jesus' resurrection and look at this. But, you know, one of the differences uh, in one account, it says they heard it. In another account, it says they didn't hear it. Well, the term that's used there is the Greek word akuo, which is very frequently used by Luke in his gospel and the book of Acts to mean understand. So this could be they heard the voice of God from heaven speaking to Paul, but they didn't understand what it was saying, okay? Another one says they fell to the ground, while another one of those accounts in Acts says that they were standing there. But the Greek word for standing is histemi, and it doesn't necessarily mean stand as we do today. It means to stay put. So, for example, in Luke, it talks about the woman who um, was weeping and her tears wet Jesus' feet over her sin, and then she wiped his feet with her hair. Well, it said the woman was standing there. So if she's standing there and wetting his uh, feet with her tears and wiping it with her hair at, while she's standing, that woman's really flexible. <laughs> or got really um, You know what I mean? So it could easily mean, all right, they fell to the ground and they stood there. They stayed put there. Gotcha. Um, so there's no contradiction. I don't see any real contradiction between the uh, narratives in the book of Acts, the three narratives in the book of Acts about Paul's conversion experience. I give Luke a break. I mean, it's the same <laughs> author in the same book. <laughs> You're really trying to see a contradiction yeah. there. Yeah, and, and if you can't tell listeners, Dr. Lacan is very passionate about that point too. Um, so let's draw some application and, and close out the, uh, the show here. Um, obviously, you know, from the evidence that you've laid out as we've moved through history and miracles and the case for the resurrection, um, there have even been people on uh, your YouTube channel, your website, who have surveyed this evidence and and – um, have said, man, this is this has changed my life. This evidence for the resurrection, and given the situation we find ourselves in today with a worldwide pandemic of the coronavirus, uh, literally a, a once in a hundred year thing that that is taking place right now. It's shutting down schools. Uh, it's shutting down. Uh, you know, people are losing their jobs. Obviously, the stock market is tanking because of the fear about this virus. Um, how? how does the resurrection or how should the resurrection impact us given what we're cur currently experiencing as uh, not just Western civilization, but civilization 
as a whole? Well, I think we as followers of Jesus, it, it, it can help us to recalibrate our thinking because especially those who live in the West, those of us who live in the West, you know, things here in the United States, in Canada, in, in much of Europe, life's relatively easy for most of us. Now, that doesn't mean we don't go through trials we do, but I'd say relatively easy. Um, it's easy for us relative, let's say, when we compare it to believers living in Nigeria or North Korea or China um, and, and some of these folks. It's relatively easy for us. And what, what this does is it helps us to remember that this life is not all there is. And in fact, even when we have a death of a loved one, similar thing can happen. In fact, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says that it's better to be in a house of mourning than a house of feasting because the wise take it to heart and learn. Uh, when a loved one dies, we look and we say, we miss that individual, but then we pin our hope on resurrection and that we will see that person in the relatively near future, that our parting from that individual is only temporary. Um, a lot of times we can be thinking about uh, with the coronavirus and the threats and we, we just see, wow, a lot can happen here. And yeah, we put a, a lot of worry and anxiety into saving for retirement or getting some sort of savings. And that can all be wiped out or cut in half and maybe even wiped out um, with this coronavirus. Well, hopefully we recognize that our citizenship is in heaven. and we need while we are here as paul says to set our minds on the things above and not on the things that are on earth um, and jesus told us in the sermon on the mount i believe it was matthew 5 where he says um that um about our treasure should be in heaven not on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break and steal but our build our treasures in heaven because where our treasure is, there will our heart also be. So let's use this. Um, if you're disappointed in what your 401k is doing or yeah, what your investments are doing right now, uh, or you have, you know, you're sick yourself or, or a family member is, set your heart on and your minds on, excuse me, on the things above, because that's what really matters. Um, and, and hopefully, what this can do for non-believers, uh, for atheists and skeptics, is they can be thinking about this and saying, wow, is this, this is all there is to it? Um, mm -hmm. You have someone like Kobe Bryant who was re recently had that helicopter crash. I mean, here's a guy that had everything going for him. And in just a moment, it's all sniff, snuffed out. Um, you know, are we storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven? If we are not, then it's time we really start to be thinking along those lines. Uh, I couldn't say amen enough uh, to that. And Dr. O'Connor, once again, thank you so much for joining me on the Daily Apologist podcast. Um, it's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. The more that I uh, talk to you and the more that I correspond with you, um, at, at some point, you know, my, my affection for your work and for who you are and, and just the impact that you had on my life, um, I might be wearing Houston Baptist University gear here soon. 
and then and then I could never go back to Craig Hazen and say, "Hey, man, will you uh, will you endorse something for me?" <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. For those of you who are listening between now and uh, the next podcast, go ahead and, and visit uh, risenjesus.com. Um, you need to pick up Why Are There Differences in the Gospels. You need to pick up Dr. Lacona's book on the resurrection. Um, anything else you want to plug, Dr. Lacona, before we wrap up? Yeah, I'd say head to our head to our YouTube channel. We've got a bunch of videos that are coming out starting on April 1st. Uh, so you, I can tell you there's some you will not want to miss. All right, so go to our YouTube channel. It's just type in Mike Lacona to take you to my channel and subscribe, hit the alert button, and you won't, and that way you won't miss any. But we've got some really great videos coming in the months of April and May. Also, if I if I may, look, you've got you had a fantastic education at Viola. And as much as I like to tease Craig Hazen and Sean McDowell out there, I, I love those guys. I mean, it's a fantastic program that Viola has, and they were the first huge, just great apologetics program. Liberty has a great one, too, with Gary Habermas and others up there. I like HBUs. You can do the whole thing online. You can do the whole thing in person or hybrid, but you can do the whole thing online. It's fully accredited. There's different tracks. You can do cultural apologetics or philosophical apologetics. Um, it's, it's just a great program. Just go to hbu.edu type in for apologetics. We do have some certificate programs. So if you don't have a, a college degree or if you do and you want to get a master or, or and you just want to learn some more apologetics, you can take um, some certificate programs and learn apolo uh, Christian apologetics that way without having to do the rigors of a master's degree. So um, uh, you know, check and it out. I've, it's a great program. I've looked at, I've looked at all of their stuff, ladies and gentlemen, and it's super good. The faculty there is just uh, absolutely amazing. And you need to consider uh, doing that, whatever tract or degree or certificate program you this, you know, look at this, it's all quality stuff. Also, you can uh, get our resources at thedailyapologist.com. We're on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We have a YouTube channel that we're going to start ramping up here soon. And we're even on TikTok. Uh, just released a video the other day in response to Godless Engineer. So go ahead and take a look at that. Dr. Lacona, it has been an extreme honor and pleasure to sit down with you. My prayer is that this information impacts the lives of all who listen today and in the future as well. Thank you so much for your time and scholarship on the most important subject regarding Christianity. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the show. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Daily Apologist podcast. Until next time, remember, equip yourselves to engage culture.